Chucky Peak. Great to see, hey, it's great to be back in live and in person. Uh, again, I'm telling you, the last few weeks of my life had been like an adventure and I have stories to tell. But uh, I won't be telling all those stories today. You'll hear about I'm sure, down the line. But it's great to be back. And if we haven't yet met, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And just look forward to meeting you, whether you're here in the worship center or you're joining us out on uh, the patio. Uh, but before we go into our time of teaching, I do have a couple uh, important announcements just to highlight. You know, uh, Scott just mentioned that the last Sunday of this month, we're having our encounter service, which has been a great time of kind of worship and prayer and some vision casting for the year. And, uh, but he mentioned that we also, at the end of it, take about 10 minutes to a quick vote on our uh, proposed budget for 2022 and our uh, elders. And so in preparation for that, uh, I'll be sending out this week on Friday um, a ministry update email for you uh, just with uh, that proposed budget and elders and some update on a couple other things. But one of the things I wanted to give you a heads up in is just wanted to thank you so much for your uh, generosity, your financial generosity all year long. You know, this has been an amazing year. And I told you that as we, I, I wrote you a letter back at the end of uh, November, beginning of December, that as we entered into December, we actually entered very strong financially because of the giving all year been strong, but that December is our kind of double our normal month. And so we really needed to, to end strong. And so the last week of the year, just a couple, couple days before the last day of the year, I, I shared with you, we're still like half a million dollars short of our December budget. And uh, you guys just did a great job. We received even more than that. And so we have ended the year once again in the black. We're in strong position for whatever God wants us to do. And so I just want to thank you for your ongoing generosity. Uh, also, um, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Zoe um, uh, Generosity Initiative. You know, our goal was to raise uh, between $100,000 and $200,000 uh, in order to help Zoe purchase this new ministry center for in, in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Um, and we have even exceeded that goal. We've already received $210,000. And so again, um, thank you just for listening and following in the realm of your finances. And I uh, just appreciate that so much. But anyway, we're gonna go into our time of teaching today. I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited about you because you're the 11 o'clock service. I can count on you. You're awake, you know? Last, I had to wake up the nine o'clock about third way through the sermon. It's like, hey, remember, it's church. Remember, we're here and Oh, yeah, that's right, you know? And so, um, so I'm just thankful that you're awake, and I'm, I, I hold you to a high bar, you know? It's like uh, you've got the extra sleep. There's no excuses, all right? So let's, uh, let's pray together and then go in. So, Father, thank you so much for your calling on our lives, this epic calling as we're going to be exploring today. And I just pray that, that by your Spirit, you would be here opening our eyes and ears to hear uh, these amazing truths that you lay out for us in your Word. And that you would apply them to our life in a very deeply personal and, and, and a way that makes them real and come alive for us today, that we could rise to be the people you've called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So our story uh, begins today uh, very early in the morning. He's woken up early uh, in the distance uh, over the eastern hills. The sun is just beginning to creep over. So the shadows are still playing uh, on, the, on, on the valleys, uh, on the mountains around this city. And so as he goes outside and he's rubbing his eyes and, and just getting a used to the, the daylight, uh, at first he thinks the shadows are just playing a trick on him. But as he looks more closely, 
he can see that to his surprise that his city is surrounded by this ancient enemy that they've been at war with recently. And he's taken completely by surprise, not only that they're there, but, but because up to this point, they've had high-level intelligence on their side, and the enemy has never taken them by surprise. So he's shocked not only that they're there, but that, that this time their intelligence has failed them, and they, they didn't know they're coming. And worst of all, he knows exactly why the enemy has come to this sort of remote, in many ways, unimportant city, that he knows that they're coming for him. And his future is flashing before his eyes. Well, today we are continuing this brand new series that we kicked off last week that's called Supernatural, Discovering Your True Identity. And, and if you're brand new, again, special welcome. I look forward to meeting you. But, but the heart of this series is a simple concept that we that I articulated last week, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that we discover that uh, something happens to us. It's something that's very deep. It's something that's very profound. It's something that's very powerful. It's something that's truly supernatural, that changes us at the core of who we are forever. And, and so with this change comes a new identity, uh, it comes a new, um, a new power, a new capacity for change, a new perspective on life, a new, a new purpose, a new calling. Um, it also brings with it a new uh, enemy, uh, a new community, and a new destiny. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is every week kind of spinning the diamonds, so to speak, looking at this new identity from a new facet. Now, if you were here last week, uh, we kicked off this series by looking at this very important and sort of representative passage of Scripture in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, where Paul kind of spells out for us what, what happens to us when we come to Jesus and who we are as a result, and then God's vision for our lives. And if we had time today, I would love to go back to that passage in Colossians 3 and kind of take a look at it again. We don't really have time for that. But what I want to do is I do want to highlight four critical principles that we looked at last week that flow out of that passage that, that as I said last week, will carry us all the way through this series and will set us up for where we're going today. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Supernatural, a quick review. You see the reference there, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And what I want to do is just quickly uh, just take a couple minutes and run through these four core principles. So number one, the first thing we saw last week is that Christianity is supernatural. That when someone comes to Jesus, as I said in the intro, something happens to them. It's not, it's not just a change of perspective, a change of beliefs, a change of lifestyle, a change of priorities. So it will involve all of those things. That It's really about what happens to us. That all of those things are the result of something that happens inside of us. Now, the New Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, used a wide variety of metaphors to describe this change. We, we, so we saw last week, Jesus talks about being born again. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about dying and resurrecting with Christ. Later in another passage, Paul talks about the new creation. 
that all these, all these metaphors are describing the same core reality that something happens to us. There in your note sheet, Philippians 1.6 says that, that Paul says, we're confident of this, that he who began a good work in us, which of course is God, that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until Jesus comes back. So Christianity is supernatural. Number two, that this change that we talk about, this, this, this change of new identity, this new perspective, this new power, this new capacity for change, this new destiny, that, that all of this is for everyone. The change is for everyone. It's not, for, uh, it's not just for the super spiritual. It's not for like the, the Navy SEALs of the Christian faith. It's for everyone. Um, you know, so, so for, for example, like if you come from a Catholic background, right, it, it's not just for priests and popes. Uh, if you come from a Protestant background, it's not just for like pastors and elders, that this is for, for all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him, this is who you are. Uh, in fact, uh, that, one thing I didn't point out last week, but all the yous of the New Testament, remember like Colossians 3, you've died with Christ, you've risen with Christ, these yous. It's not obvious in English, but in Greek, they're all plurals. So when Paul says, you've died, and he's not talking about individuals, he's saying, you as followers of Jesus, what's true of one of you is true of all of you. Number three, this change is epic. Like I said last week, this change that's being described, it's big, it's huge, it's powerful, it's a new creation, it's a new birth, it's a death and a resurrection. It's not the rearranging of the religious furniture in the living room of your life. It's more of a strip it down to the studs and renew you, right? Something's big. Number four, what you believe really matters. How we see ourselves determines our course in life. This is why the New Testament is constantly challenging us to remember who we are, challenging us to remember what has happened to us. The New Testament often doesn't challenge us to be something until it reminds us who we are. Okay? So on those four basic principles, this whole series is going to rest. And today we're going to build on them by going to one of the most important passages in all the New Testament that talks about who God is, who we are, this new identity, what has happened to us. And that passage is in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's open them up, turn them on. They're in your note sheet. You have a section called Supernatural, the Epic Vision. Now, while you're turning there, let me set it up. So Paul is writing to these uh, Christ followers in and around the ancient city of Ephesus. He's writing this letter at a very similar time as he wrote the letter to Colossians. We looked at last week. There's a lot of overlap. He's writing both of them from prison. And after he introduces himself, after he greets them, the opening couple verses, he launches into this long section where he's really praising God for who he is, what he's done for us in Christ, and as a result, who we are. And, uh, and so this passage is incredibly epic. Like I said, if I only had one passage to talk about who we are in Christ, very likely this would be it. But it's also incredibly dense. Have you ever struggled reading the Apostle Paul? I'm telling you, his essays would not be graded high in a high school literature class. 
He uses long, run-on sentences that twist and turn, and you really have to take some time to unpack it if you're going to follow his, uh, what he's teaching. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at this passage. We're going to break it down so we understand what he's saying, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to highlight seven realities about who God is, who we are, what's happened to us in Christ uh, that are, that are, are uh, essential for us to understand if we're going to discover our identity. All right, so there you're, uh, we'll pick it up at verse three. And so Paul says, uh, he starts this long section of praise that's going to go all the way through, through verse 14. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, and of course, us is believers in Jesus, Christ followers, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, and then what are the next two words? In Christ. Okay, circle them, underline them. It's impossible to understand the Apostle Paul without understanding this phrase, in Christ. So what Paul says, we saw this last week. Do you remember this? That Paul says that when we come to Christ, we're baptized. He uses this language. We're baptized into Christ. That we, we, when we come to Jesus, we give him our life, we're connected with Jesus organically through his Holy Spirit, that, that his life becomes our life. And as a result of this new relationship with the Holy Spirit, we share in the effects of his life, his death and resurrection, right? So we have this new power and capacity to change because of this connection with Christ. And everything that God has for us always happens in Christ. Outside of Christ, there is no blessing. It's always in Christ. And so what Paul says here, he makes this claim that he says, as a follower of Jesus, that you have received every spiritual blessing through this connection you have with Christ. Now notice he doesn't say every physical blessing. That will come at the end of time, but we share every spiritual blessing. And so you say, well, what do you mean, Paul, by a spiritual blessing? And so the rest of this passage, he's going to again to explain what he means. And so he says, first of all, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So let's stop there. This is one of the New Testament, and it teaches over and against that, that if you've come to Jesus, it's because you've been chosen in Christ. We'll talk more about that later. But what I want you to, to catch is that Paul is making an incredible claim. That what he's claiming is if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, that, that you are actually chosen before the Big Bang. Or however God did it. Are you in here? Uh, now, you begin to understand why I use this word epic. He says, your story, the story of your life, begins before the Big Bang. Before Genesis 1 happened, that God knew you, and he made a decision to come after you. And he chose you, so why did he choose us? Well, we're going to see the rest of the passage, right? He says, he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we're part of a rebel race. And 
before time, he chose us that we would be one who would come to him to receive this total amnesty for all crimes committed against the king, to restore us to relationship by, by making us holy and blameless. Now, we'll talk about more. He'll talk more about how that happens in just a minute. And he says, in love, and I want you to underline those verses, or those words, in love. What we're gonna see is the word love and grace is gonna come up time and time again in this passage. And there's very little distinction between love and grace. Grace is sort of a love we don't deserve. We'll talk more about that later. But he says, in love, he predestined us. He planned this out uh, for adoption to sonship through this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. So catch this, he chose us not only to forgive us, but also to adopt us so we would become his sons and daughters with all rights and privileges that go with that. And he said this was in accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, it's what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. And it's to the praise of his glorious grace, there we see it, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. We're gonna notice this. There's no stinginess with grace. We're not gonna see it. It's not a little bit of grace. We're gonna see it time and time again. He's gonna say freely grace, riches of grace, lavishes grace, right? It's not a little, it's an abundance of grace. He's freely given us in the one he loves, talking about Jesus. Now in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. So in the ancient world, to redeem something meant to buy it back. So if you would redeem a slave, you'd purchase their freedom. If you redeem a prisoner of war, you ransom them. And so what, what, what he's saying is that, is that through Jesus, God has ransomed us back from the dark side. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer uh, belong to someone else. We've been, we belong to him, we've been ransomed. And he says the cost of this ransom was his blood. So this is how we were made holy and blameless, that through the death of Christ, his life for ours. And he says that that's what provides the forgiveness of sins. And catch this, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. He says, now with all wisdom and understanding, in other words, with all brilliance of intellect, With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us, he's talking to us as apostles, right? He's talking about himself. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure again, which he purposed in Christ. So what does he mean, this mystery? Well, when you get into chapter two or three, he spells this out. That before time began, that God's vision was out of this rebel race to rescue a group of people that he would forgive and adopt. They'd become his new family, a new race to rule in the new creation that's coming. And that this new family would not just be from the nation of Israel, but it would be from Jew and non-Jew that people called out of both backgrounds. And and this wasn't clear in the Old Testament. It was, Paul calls it a mystery And in Paul's language, a mystery is something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. And so he says, he made known to us as apostles this mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Remember, Christ means Messiah, uh, the king. 
And he said, here's the ultimate plan to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment in the future. And he says, and here's the ultimate goal, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So we live in a divided universe, don't we? We live in a universe of sin, of the prince of the power of darkness and the the kingdom of light. We live in a divided, broken, hostile world. But the ultimate goal is to bring all of heaven and earth, all of creation, healed and restored under the leadership of King Jesus. That's the vision. And that's what we discover that we have been chosen to play a significant part in when we come to Jesus. And so he goes on and he says, uh, verse thir- we'll skip to verse 13. He says, you also, you know, you as these people in Ephesus, Christ followers, you also were included in the Messiah when you heard the message of truth. So he just talked about how he was chosen to play a part in the scheme. But he says, but you also were included in Messiah when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So when you came to Jesus, whether it was four years old or whether it was at winter camp when you were 13 or whether it was in college Bible study through InterVarsity when you were at, the, you know, at UC Irvine or whether it was through a Harvest Crusade with Greg Laurie or whether it was through here at Rocky Peak and a message that you came that however it happened, he says, when that happened, He says, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed at that moment in time, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so in ancient times, when you would send a letter, you would have a wax seal. You put the wax on the letter or the scroll and you put your seal on it. Remember like the book of Revelation, the seven seals on the scroll, right? that when you would ship your goods, you would put your seal on them. They identified these belong to you. And he says that when you believed in Jesus, God put his seal on you, that you belong to him. He says, and the seal is the promised Holy Spirit. So in the prophets of the Old Testament, they said when the, whole, when, when the Messiah came, God would pour out his spirit. And he would not simply forgive us of our sins, but he would pour out his spirit to change us from the inside out so we'd have the power to rise with Messiah and live this new life. And so he says, when you came to Jesus, he identified you as one of his own, and that seal is the Holy Spirit. In other words, your experience of the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you, opening your mind to Scripture, showing you the truth, your present experience of the Holy Spirit is the sign you belong to him. And then he goes on and he says, the Holy Spirit, in verse 14, is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What's he talking about? Well, we have this amazing destiny, right? This new heavens and this new earth. That's where sons and daughters, we will inherit the world that's coming. Okay? He says, but the, your present experience, the Holy Spirit, is the deposit guaranteeing that. So for example, if you go to buy a house to show that you're serious about buying it, you put a deposit into escrow. Now when that 30-day escrow comes up, you have to come up with the rest of the funds to complete that 
purchase. But your deposit is your promise that you're serious about this and that when the end of escrow comes, you will purchase the house. Well, Paul says the Holy Spirit in our life right now is God's deposit guaranteeing the rest of the inheritance that's coming. And so he says it's guaranteeing the inheritance until the redemption of those, you and I, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so when Jesus comes back, the inheritance will come into the inheritance, the new bodies that we'll receive, the new world that we will inherit. And all of this, for this epic vision from time before time to the time after time is going to reveal his brilliance, his power, his compassion, his mercy, and his grace in, our, in and through our lives. So that's the passage, right? Like I say, it's, it's probably the most epic passage I can think of in the New Testament. It describes who we are, what happened to us, God's vision for our life as followers of Jesus. But can you see what I mean? It's incredibly dense, isn't it? Like, it's not easy. You have to, like, take it step by step, follow his train of thought, break it down. So here's what I want to do. We've taken the time to break it down, but now what I want to do is just very quickly, I want to highlight seven realities that Paul describes for us about who God is, who we are, his vision for our lives, his epic vision, um, as we go through this passage. And so this will go very quickly um, because we've, we've taken the time to see it, but I want you to see seven realities. And so there on your note sheet, you have a section that's called Supernatural Seven Epic Realities. Right? I'm going to give you seven words, one word for each reality. So here we go. The first word is the word chosen. So Paul says, if you've come to Jesus... Your story begins before the beginning of time. That it doesn't matter when you came to Jesus or how you came to Jesus, or whether at the time you even realized you were coming to Jesus, whether it was dramatic or very subtle at the time, if you've come to the place where you realize who Jesus is and you've given him your life and you've bowed the knee to Jesus and you receive the gift of spirit, Paul says, here's the truth about that that the reason you're a follower of Jesus today is because God chose you before time. It's not because you were so brilliant and figured it out. It's not because you had such a good heart and you were seeking after God that, that, that he was working your life a long time before that. It, it's not because you were so stupid, you screwed up your life so bad, he was the only hope left. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says it's because God chose you before time. Now, obviously, whenever we come across these passages in the New Testament that talk about, like this one today, being chosen, predestined, and uh, Jesus uses the term the elect, and, and all the New Testament writers use these terms, obviously that raises questions in our mind, doesn't it, about like, wait, well, how does this work? My choice and God's choice, and God's sovereignty and human free will and responsibility, and how does that all work? And we're not gonna go into that today, not because it's not important or interesting, but simply we just don't have time. 
if you really want to know uh, what I think about that, I did a message uh, back in a series we did many years ago on the entire book of Ephesians called Epic. And the second message in, I think I tackled that issue. But for today, what I want you to focus on is this incredible truth that if you're a follower of Jesus, God saw you and chose you before time began. And that's why you're here today. And he has an epic vision for your life. Amen. Number two, the second key word, in fact, there, you know, we've saw it many times, Ephesians 1, 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. We saw it many times today. Number two, the second word is the word forgiven. That if we're a follower of Jesus, the second thing we discover is that we're forgiven. That through his life, his death, his resurrection for us, that he's made a way for us to be forgiven of all crimes against his kingdom. Uh, and so there in your note sheet, we saw this a couple of times. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. A few verses later, in him we have redemption through his blood, his death for us, the forgiveness of sins. Right? And so it's the second thing we know is that we're forgiven, that all crimes against the king, uh, we're like we may be a good kid or a bad kid, but we're still his kid. Right? We've, we're part of his family now. We've We've been forgiven. Number three, we've been adopted. Now, this is important uh, because there's a big difference between forgiveness and adoption. Like, let's picture this, that you've committed some heinous crime. You've been in prison for quite a while. And for whatever reason, your, your, your court case is going to be reevaluated by the judge. When the judge comes out to your shock, I mean, you're as guilty as sin. There's no question that the judge says that, that I am marking uh, not guilty. Uh, you are forgiven. And so that would be amazing, right? And so you, you're walking out of the courtroom, but you, you have no future. You have no home. You have no resources. You don't have a car. You're completely broke. But after he says you're forgiven, you're, you're, uh, you're made right, you're no longer guilty, the judge takes off his robe and he walks down and he puts his arm around you and says, you know, I, I've never had kids of my own and I would love to adopt you as my son and, and inherit everything that I have. Are you with me? There's a difference between forgiveness and adoption. And so this is what Paul says. Uh, in fact, it's, it's so beautiful. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, we, we no longer live in fear of God. He says, because we're no longer, he says, because God has sent the spirit of his son in our hearts, we cry, Abba, Father, we've been adopted. Right? So there in your note sheet, Paul says that he predestined us for adoption to sonship, right? And, and, and later in this book, it, Paul has this phrase that I love where he talks about believers. He calls us the loved ones. Isn't that good? You know the word like agape? You've heard that word for a love? But there's a, a takeoff on that agapitas, the loved ones. And, and there later in Ephesians 5, same, same book, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly Loved children. All the rights of it. That, that's that word, agapitas. Okay, so now number four. The fourth word is the word filled. And this is the word I'm using to describe the gift of the Holy Spirit. As, as the New Testament always talks about, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so 
So what we learn is that we're not only forgiven, not only adopted, but that God actually sends the spirit of his son to dwell within us, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to be able to rise with Christ to this new life. And so Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And he says, in the Spirit, it's your deposit down payment that guarantees the rest of the story will come true as well. Your experience of the Holy Spirit right now is your guarantee that you'll get the full, the full inheritance when he returns. <laughs> Number five, the fifth word is gifted. Now, for this word, we have to kind of launch into chapter two. Uh, in these opening two chapters, Paul is sharing his God's vision, epic vision for our life. We didn't have time today to go through all chapter one, chapter two, but if I, I want to dip into chapter two for a minute, because in chapter two, he gives us another piece. And this is what he says there in your note sheet. I put it in the New Living Translation because it was very clear. He said, for we, as Christ followers, we are God's masterpiece. The word in Greek is the word poema. It's where we get our word poem. So translations will say we're God's project, we're God's workmanship, we're his here, the masterpiece. The point is we're, we're his project, you know, we're the work of his hands. He says, for we're, we're God's masterpiece. And notice he has created us anew. Notice that epic big picture language. We've been created. We're the new creation. He says, He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. Remember, everything happens in Jesus, nothing outside of Jesus. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that, catch this, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And when he gets to chapter four, he'll begin to talk more about this. He talks about it in other places in his writings that as followers of Jesus, catch this, we are not simply forgiven. We're not simply adopted. We're not simply filled with his spirit, but he has actually uniquely gifted each of us to play a significant role in this epic plan of bringing all heaven and earth healed and restored under his leadership. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's uniquely gifted you to play an important role in that epic plan. We'll talk about that later in the series. Number six, <laughs> the sixth word is destined. That when you came to Jesus, you discovered not only you had been chosen before time, that God has a vision for you after time. That when Jesus returns and he brings all things in heaven and earth under his leadership, you are going to receive a new body to live in this new creation. That uh, You have an incredible new destiny. And so Paul puts it like this in verse 11 that he made known to us the mystery of his will, this big picture vision, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And number seven, the seventh word is loved. What we see throughout this passage is the motive behind this epic vision for, for our lives time and time again is love. We saw it as love, we saw it as grace, I pointed out there's very little distinction between these two words. In fact, uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars who died and went to be with the Lord a few years ago, but his name is F.F. Bruce, and in his commentary on Ephesians 1, this is what he says. There is little distinction between God's love <coughs> and his grace. 
except that the word grace emphasizes its free and sovereign character. In other words, grace is about God choosing to love us when we have no claim on him. You see? So, so like grace is a love we don't deserve that comes as a complete gift. And we saw this over and over, not a little bit of grace, that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not because you barely squeaked in. It's not because God kind of held his nose and said, I'll take that one. <laughs> it's not because, well, it's fine. okay, you can come in, you can sit in the back row, right? That, that we saw it, didn't we? We saw the grace that's freely given, Amen. the riches of his grace, the grace he lavished on us. Did we not see that again and again? That there is no shortage of grace in the kingdom of God. There is an abundance of grace. And he is, if you're a follower of Jesus, according to this passage, you are deeply loved. As he says there on your note sheet, that he lavished upon us, right? So, so here's a quick vision of God's, here's a quick overview of this vision Paul lays out for us, what has happened in our life, who we are as a result. And so let's just put these seven together. Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have first of all been chosen before time, before the big bang, before the creation, however started, that, that he saw you, that he chose you not based on who you were or your seeking of him, but he saw you in your rebellion and he chose to come after you and he chose to forgive you for all crimes against his kingdom and not only to forgive you, but to adopt you as his son or daughters, one of his beloved ones and he loves you as he loves his own son. That he's poured out his spirit in your life to lead and guide and direct you and this spirit is a promise that of everything else he's promised. And then on top of that, he's uniquely gifted you and called you, created you to play a significant role in this epic vision of bringing all heaven and earth healed and restored under his leadership. You will share in that destiny, that new creation that's coming. And all of this is because you are deeply loved. Now, I've got a question for you in light of that. There in your note sheet, supernatural, the big question. The question I have for you is, how real are these realities to you? We just took seven realities from the word of God, from the apostle Paul about this. But the question is, how real are these realities to you? You see, it's one thing in our lives to believe something theologically or theoretically. It's another thing to believe them really. You know, there's that, that, old, there's that old illustration. I think it's a true story about the man who stretched the cable over Niagara Falls and... Uh, he asked the crowd that was there, how many of you believe that I can walk this cable? And uh, crowns went up, and, and so he did. In fact, he took a wheelbarrow over the Niagara Falls on this, on this cable. And then he came back and said, how many of you believe I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and carry him safely there and back? Oh, yes. He said, okay, who wants to get in? 
There's a difference between believing something intellectually and believing it really. Let me give you an example from our lives. My guess is that most, if not all of us here, would have something in our life that we've done that we're very ashamed of. Something in our past that we wish had never happened and we would do anything to change. And and even after we come to Christ, we, we know what the Bible says, that our sins are forgiven. But have you ever found yourself really struggling to leave the shame of that behind? Not, not, no show of hands here. I'm not looking for a confessional. Uh, but my hunch is yes. And here's how it often works, is that, that many times we, we know what the Bible says. We may even memorize verse. We've confessed that before the Lord. We've turned from that sin. Um, and and we've, we maybe memorize verses, and yet often still late at night when we're laying there in bed or in the middle of the night, it comes back to haunt us. The feeling of guilt, the feeling of shame. Maybe it's an abortion. Maybe it's a sexual promiscuity. Maybe it was an affair that you had. You cheated on your spouse. Maybe, maybe it was a divorce that never should have happened. And you made happen. Maybe it's, it's the way you raised your kids and you just did a horrible job of it. And you know it. And, and now their lives are messed up. And just the shame of that. And as a, as a follower of Jesus, you know what the Bible says, that we're forgiven. And he doesn't want us to live under guilt. He wants, he wants us to be free from that. And you know that. And you've prayed that. And you've confessed it. But it's still on you. And it still weighs you down. And it still uh, impacts the way you see yourself. And then there comes a day, for whatever reason, you hear a message on forgiveness. You read a book. It's during a worship song. There's a prayer session where people are praying for you to be free from your past. Whatever it is, and all of a sudden, the theological becomes real. (laughs) And in that moment, it's like your eyes are opened to seeing the truth that Jesus' blood covers us. And you rise up and you're free. And you're free from your past for the first time. And you're able to move into your future. Now, if I would have asked you before that, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe you're forgiven? Yes. So we believe it theologically, we believe it theoretically, but it's not real to us. This is the job that only the Holy Spirit can do is he can take these, these truths the Bible is describing and open them up to us in a way that set us free. So the question I have is how real are these seven realities to you? You know, today we started the day with a story about this young man who gets up early in the morning and he goes outside of his house and the shadows are still on the hills surrounding a city as the sun is just coming up over the eastern eastern mountains. And as you look up, at first he thinks the shadows are playing tricks on him. But as his eyes focus in and get accustomed to the, to the, the, the daylight, he realizes that it's not true. He realizes it's like his worst nightmare, that the forces of the enemy nation that's been against him for some time 
have surrounded his city. The army has surrounded it. And why this is so terrifying is, first of all, they've had high-level intelligence for every move the enemy has made. So why didn't that work this time? And secondly, he knows there's no forces within the city to defend themselves. And third, he knows deep in his heart why they're here. They've come for him. This is a true story, kind of my version, but it's a true story that comes from 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter six. It's on your note sheet, whether it's five or six. But it's a story of a, of a time in Israel's history when Israel was at war, that the nation of Syria to the north of them, or Aram, was, uh, was trying to invade them and destroy them. And, and so, uh, but every time Syria made a move, Israel had high-level intelligence what that move was going to be. And so they, they would frustrate the move. And the, the king of Syria couldn't figure it out. Like, we've got to have some mole, some uh, intelligence leak at high levels. But it turns out that it's not, that what's happening is that there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha, and the Lord is revealing to Elisha every move the enemy is going to make, and he tells the king. And so uh, finally, the king of Syria discovers what the source of this problem is, and so that's why he sends his troops in the middle of the night to, to circle this, this small city of, of Dothan to, because that's where Elijah is supposed, Elisha is supposed to be. And so the young man that's come out that morning is not Elisha, it's his, his assistant. And when he looks up and he sees like, oh no, uh, this shouldn't be happening. Uh, and he is uh, freaking out, sees his life flashing before his eyes. He goes in to tell Elisha that Elisha is super calm. And he's like, uh, why are you so calm? And he says, well, the reason is there's more with us than with them. And this assistant's looking at him like, has this guy lost it? We don't have any troops here. And then Elisha prays this very simple prayer. He says, Lord, open his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he can't believe what he sees. Surrounding the army of Syria are the military forces of heaven. You've heard that term, the hosts of heaven? That's military talk. The military forces of heaven and fiery chariots that are on fire, right, it's like special effects, are surrounding the army of Syria. Now, I'm not going to tell you what happens next. You're going to have to read that on your own. But it's good news for Elisha and his servant, right? And so when the assistant sees this, he has a total change of heart and mind. He's like, oh, what am I so worried about? This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see what happens next. It wasn't that the situation changed. It's his eyesight changed. Now, here's what, here's what happens. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is going to pray a very similar prayer. He lays out this epic vision that we just took time to unpack. And then the very next thing he says, we ended at verse 14. The very next thing he says in verse 15 is, hey, so I've been praying for all of you, and this is what I'm praying. And I want you to see what he prays there in your note sheet. He says in Ephesians chapter one, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's just introduced us to this God, right? This amazing, creative, powerful, brilliant God who's loved us when we were his enemies. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father in the Greek, the Father of glory, like the source of all glory, 
uh, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He said, I've just told you the epic vision, but I know you don't get it. So I'm praying that God would open your eyes to see the truth about you. And he says, I'm praying that God may give you a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation, number one, so you may know him better. You can know who he really is. I've just described him for you, but you're gonna need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see that reality. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Isn't that beautiful? The eyes of your heart would be enlightened, just like, like the eyes of Elisha's servant, his assistant were open, so that you may know the hope to which he's called you, this next life destiny hope that Paul has just been talking about. And he says, and also that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You know, this new community that Jesus has rescued to rule with him forever. He says, I, I want God to open your eyes to see the beauty of this new community. And he said, and then finally, I'm praying that God would open the eyes of your heart so you realize his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power that we have as followers of Jesus. Now, what I want you to notice is Paul is not praying that God would give them anything new. I'm, I'm just praying that God would give you new power. No, he's not praying for new power. I'm praying that, that God would bless you with new gifts, you know, because you're his children. He's not praying for new gifts. What he's praying is that their eyes would be open to see who they are and what they already have. Amen. He's already told them they have every spiritual blessing. You just can't see it. I'm praying that God would open your eyes. You could see who he is, who you are as his people, and the power that's available to us. Are you with me? And so the question I have for you is how real are these realities to you? You know, it's possible. We've probably all known people like this. Maybe someone in your life group or someone in your family that they've gone through a lot of trauma early in life. Maybe they grew up with a father that was always telling how stupid they were, that they would never amount to anything. What a worthless piece of trash, the worst thing. And they've heard that for so long. And they've come to Jesus. But those words of that father still weigh heavy in their mind. And you look at this person and you say, are you kidding me? You're amazing. Look what you've accomplished in your career, in your education, in your relationships with people. Like, how could you ever think you were stupid? But no matter how much you tell them, they still see themselves as stupid. Catch this. Not because it's real, but because they can't see the truth. Are you with me? So, so what I'm catching is you may sit here and say, this is amazing description, but it doesn't fit me. I don't feel like it's true. And that's the whole point. The point is, it doesn't matter whether it feels true to you. It is true. Amen. How much you realize it, that's a different matter. 
So there's a gap often between how we see ourselves and who God says that we are. And the only one who can bridge that gap is the Holy Spirit. To open the eyes of our heart to see who he is, who we are, and the power that we have access to in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so what I want to challenge you as we go through this series, that you would join me in this journey. And that when you see that gap, you don't write it off as, I just don't get it. But instead, you would step into that gap. And you would say, Father, would you pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation in my life? Would you open the eyes of my heart so I can see that this is not just theologically true, this is reality. And then as the Spirit begins to do that, let me guarantee you, whenever the Holy Spirit begins to show you who you are, there are almost always implications for your life. This is why Paul said last week, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. The more that you realize who you are, there's always implications. Leaving the past, putting off the old, embracing the new, rising with Christ. And this is how it works. As the Holy Spirit reveals, we respond by obedience. He reveals more. So I'd like to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray a prayer over you right now as we're still early in this series. You know, over the last few years, that one of the passages I just have thought about a lot, memorized, meditated on, and often prayed over our church is a passage we looked at last week, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And what the Lord has been showing me is, Michael, these things are not just for you. These are for every person at Rocky Peak who has come to me. That when I say you, you have been raised with Christ, that's you plural, you all. And so I want to speak his word of blessing over your life. And together we're going to go before him as a church. And we're going to ask him through this series to open the eyes of our heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, we come to you in the name of King Jesus. We thank you that you've promised us that every spiritual blessing in Christ is ours. You're for us and not against us. We're your sons and daughters. We're forgiven. We're adopted. You've chosen us before time began. And so, Lord, I want to speak your word over this church, as I've often done in prayer time alone. I've seen this picture in my mind so many times over the years. And so, Lord, I just now want to speak your word over your people. And so I'd say to you, if you've been raised up with Christ, and If you're a follower of Jesus, you have. You've shared his death and resurrection. So if you've been raised up with Christ and seek the things above where Christ is seated, ruling over creation at the right hand of God, focus on the things above, the things that matter most in life, not the things on the earth. For you've died to your old life with Christ and Christ is now your life And when he returns, when he's revealed, you will be revealed your true identity with him in glory. And you're going to be 
shown to be amazing. And so, Lord, we pray that as we embrace these promises, as we recite them, we pray that you be opening up these windows into reality for each of us. We pray, Lord, that as we go through this series on our knees, asking you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know you, know who we are, know the future, the destiny that we have planned, know the power that's available. We pray, Lord, you'd open the eyes of our heart. And as you do, Lord, that we would realize in a fresh way that we are no longer slaves. We've been purchased out of slaves, out of slavery from the dark side. We are now sons and daughters of the king. We no longer have to fear you because we are your sons and daughters. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen.